Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami So tonight I would like to speak a little bit about uh, some of the early teachings on right speech. And right speech is a topic that has received a lot of attention within Buddhism. I think a lot of people have spoken about it, have written about it. And certainly there's a lot to say, but I think sometimes that there, uh, some of the nuance of this teaching uh, needs to be more explicitly shared. So that's my hope for today is to talk a little bit about some of the nuances of what is meant by right speech in early Buddhism. And so the sutta that I want to use in particular to talk about this is a sutta from the Middle Length Discourses, Majjhima Nikaya 58. And it's a story of a conversation uh, between the Buddha and Prince Abhaya, Prince Abhaya. And I spoke recently, I think it was a couple of weeks back about uh, King Ajatasattu. Prince Abhaya was actually his brother, also King Bimbasara's son. Um, and the way that the story goes in the sutta is that the prince is basically coached by somebody to approach the Buddha with a difficult, what he thinks will be a difficult question. The difficult question is, if you, have, if you need to say something to someone that they won't like, would you say it? Would you say something that would not be well received? And basically the idea was to trip the Buddha up by saying that he had said something difficult to his cousin, Devadatta, Devadatta was uh, somebody who tried to take away the leadership of the Sangha from the Buddha and failing that actually tried to have the Buddha killed. So yes, yeah, so the Buddha spoke to him pretty seriously and said, what you're doing is going to cause you great harm for yourself karmically. 
But in any event, so there was this question, well, would the Buddha say, would the Buddha admit that sometimes he had said things that were difficult for people to receive, or would he just say no, that he wasn't doing that? And either way, it was going to lead to an argument, according to the prince and the folks that he had been talking to. And what happens is that the Buddha gives the prince a teaching. He immediately says, this is not something that can be answered with a simple yes or no. It's not something that could be just thumbs up or thumbs down. It requires a little bit more discussion than that. And this is one of those suttas in which you see, I believe, the sophistication of the teachings that have been passed down to us. You know, you see the, um, the, the, the depth of the understanding and the precision of it, actually, to some extent. So he goes through a series of uh, discussions, a series of examples. Actually, let me say that again. He doesn't actually give examples. He gives a series of instances and he says whether he would say it or not say it. So for example, he says, if you wanted to say something false, harmful, and that was disliked. So before I even say what he said about that, we look at, I wanna look at those three categories, right? So it's not just about whether we should not be immediately, what the Buddha is implying here, is that we can't determine right speech simply by whether or not it is liked or disliked by the recipient, or simply by whether or not it is true, or simply by whether or not it is harmful or beneficial need to look at all three of those categories in each case. And so there is the case of true or false, starting with saying something that is true or false. And I wanna say, that seems like it would be obvious, but sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes we are quite mistaken actually about whether a thing is true or not. Right? Um, some of you have heard me tell occasionally the story of when I was a residence rep at City Center in San Francisco, at the San Francisco Zen Center, it was me and this other gentleman who had the master keys among one of the responsibilities of the residence reps was that we carried a master key so that when folks locked themselves out of the house, out of the building occasionally, that we could let them in into their room also because their rooms would lock. And, but there were two main buildings, two main residential buildings. This person lived in one of the main residential buildings and I lived in the other one. So we had a big discussion um, 
because he and I had quite different communication styles. And so we had to work these things through and, and we had quite a big discussion and finally came to the idea that, well, we'll post both names and both phone numbers in each one of the buildings. And then sure enough, you know, some days went by and nothing had been posted. I had posted both his name and my name and both of our phone numbers in the building that I was in and then, but nothing had been posted in the main building. And so some days went by and I, I kind of just waited to see what was gonna happen there. And then I saw that there was a note on the bulletin board and it was just his name and his phone number without my name and phone number too. And I was so irritated. I was incredibly irritated. I was like, you know, we had this whole discussion about this thing and I can't believe it. And I don't know why I even trusted this guy to do the thing that he said he was gonna do and the whole thing. And I was really, really annoyed. And so the next time I saw him, I said, hey, so-and-so, I saw that there is this note on the bulletin board and it only has your name and number. And then before I could even get anything more out, he said, oh yeah, yeah, I didn't get to it. So so-and-so posted it for me. And in that moment, right, I could have just jumped on to the, well, why didn't you get to it part? But actually what happened was that I realized that my view of reality was wrong, right? That I had what I thought was absolute proof that he had violated the agreement that we had made with this little piece of paper that was on the bulletin board. And yet it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. So we do our best to ascertain what's true or false. I think even with that, we need to have a measure of skillfulness. We need to have a measure of open-mindedness to understand what's really happening. And then there's this question of beneficial. And I'm gonna say more about that in a little bit, but, but suffice to say just briefly that beneficial as is discussed in the suttas would mean things that lead us forward on the path of liberation things that lead to understanding the arising of dukkha and the easing, the non-arising of dukkha, right? Things that help us to understand, to have more clarity of mind. So that's what would be beneficial. Beneficial would be something that perhaps fit the three categories, right? Sila, Samadhi, Panya, if we are to summarize the whole Noble Eightfold Path in three, we typically would say that ethics or virtue or Sila is the Pali word, Samadhi, right? uh, kind of stilling and clarifying of the mind and Panya meaning wisdom, wisdom defined as knowing the way that things truly are in a visceral, experiential, penetrative way. 
So that would be beneficial, would be things that would lead to that. And then there is liked or disliked. And so again, the Buddha gives a couple of, of uh, instances and he says, well, if it's false and it's harmful and it's disliked, then obviously don't say it, right? I wouldn't say it. In fact, there's another sutta in which he calls that speech like dung. <laughs> when you intentionally lie in order to harm someone, and then it's from Anguttara Nikaya from the number of discourses, the number of threes. And it talks about um, lying in court, actually, lying at a kind of at a judicial proceeding or something, saying that you know something that you actually don't know, or that you don't know something that you do know in order to harm someone. So the Buddha says, well, obviously you wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. And then there's the case of true, true, but harmful and disliked. True, but harmful and disliked. And that's an, uh, a difficult one. And, uh, and one that I think many, a trap that many people fall into. Oh, I get to say, what I need to say because it's true. Right. The example of this that I've seen sadly was uh, a parent saying to their child, I hate you. Right. It might be true. That might be the actual feeling, the thought that is in that person's mind, but it's definitely harmful and disliked by the child. Right. Well, it's not appropriate speech. It's not appropriate speech. And the Buddha says, don't say that. So again, pointing to the fact that just because it's true doesn't mean that it's right speech. And then false and harmful, but liked. So a deliberate lie that's harmful, but that is what that other person wants to hear. Some people would call this keeping the peace. This is keeping the peace. But I would say that it's, it's, uh, it's problematic for a couple of reasons. One reason is, again, any kind of lying is creating more delusion in the world. It's creating more delusion, both in the person, the, the people or person that are hearing you, that are receiving that speech, but also in yourself, right? some way that you think that you're able to manipulate the situation by speaking falsehoods. So, Again, for that reason, this kind of speech would be something that you wouldn't say, one wouldn't say. False and harmful, even if it's what somebody else wants to hear. And then there's the case of true, but harmful, but liked. 
true, but harmful, but what the other person wants to hear. So this is the example that's often brought up when people talk about right speech, um, when people question right speech. Well, what about if you're, if you're harboring Jews and somebody comes to the door and asks you? Hmm. Or the Underground Railroad here in the United States, right? People who were harboring slaves who were moving, trying to move to freedom. So the Buddha says, even though it's true, and that person who's knocking at your door might like to hear that you're hiding a slave or a Jew, that's a harmful thing to say. So you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't, talk, you wouldn't tell that truth. Mind you, he's not saying you would lie. Maybe you would find other ways to get around that but you wouldn't feel necessarily compelled to speak that truth just because it's true and because that's what that other person wants to hear. Still a harmful thing. And interestingly, the Buddha doesn't even bother to mention the case of true, beneficial, and liked, because I guess that doesn't, <laughs> you don't need to ask that question, right? If it's true, it's beneficial and likable, then it's obvious that you would say such a thing. But then there's that one case, and this is the one that I really want to focus on a bit. And it's the case of true and beneficial, but disliked, right? True. True to reality, beneficial, something that would be good to say, something that would conduce to clarity, to ethics, to wisdom. And yet disliked by the person who's going to receive it. And before I even say what the Buddha said about that, I will say, the Dhamma is often like this, right? You might have noticed. <laughs> it's true, it's accurate. It's beneficial in the sense that it's helping you along on the path. But you don't like it when you hear it sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult to receive the Dhamma. It's challenging, or sometimes it sparks sadness. I've had that happen to myself in the past. Some kind of sadness, or maybe not wanting to face that reality quite yet. So the case of true and beneficial and dislike, the Buddha says, know the proper time. You should say it, but you should know the proper time when to say it. And this is a beautiful subtlety, right? 
This is the Buddha actually saying, I believe, something also about listening. About listening. Because otherwise, how would you know the proper time? Unless you're tuned in in a certain way, right? And he doesn't go on to say very much, actually, about what he means by the proper time. And here, I think, is where it's important for us to go back a little bit to what we mean, what he would have meant by beneficial. And therefore, what's the proper time for something beneficial? So beneficial would mean in alignment with the path. In alignment with the Four Noble Truths, for example. And if we think about the way that the the Buddha spoke about dukkha, about suffering or unsatisfactoriness or difficulty of life, he said, we need to understand it. That's our task. Our first task with regard to dukkha to begin to understand it. And even before we have fully understood it, that every bit of understanding about dukkha leads us to light and knowledge and a, and a kind of opening. That's how he described it in his own experience that even before he had perfected his understanding of dukkha. Each step toward understanding brought the benefits of practice. And then also understanding how dukkha can be abandoned, how dukkha can be brought to an end. And so I think that when we put the speech into that context, and we think about this this case of speech that is true, speech that is beneficial in that way, in helping us understand dukkha and bring an end to dukkha, and speech that might not be well received, I would say the time for that kind of speech is now. Because there are a lot of folks in our world right now who are expressing their dukkha quite loudly. And you might think, oh, well, the Buddhists would say that they should be more peaceful and not be so angry or so desperate or people who are selling their daughter so that they can feed the other children in the family. But I would say those folks are expressing their suffering in extreme ways 
very, very strong, loud ways. And we, who aren't experiencing that kind of suffering, we experience different kinds of suffering, but we have a voice. And we can have a voice about those things. We can have a voice about what's true and what's beneficial. And perhaps what's difficult to say, what's difficult to put out into the world. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we have a responsibility to do that. We have a responsibility to be the voice as best we can to be the voice for what's truthful and what's beneficial, even when it's hard. And to help other people to have a voice for that as well, right? So I think about, uh, you know, recently we celebrated the Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the States. And I think that some of the understanding of how to do that, how to celebrate that that man and his wonderful legacy has shifted over time, right? Now, as I understand it, what I hope to do is to lift up the voices of black folks, right? So that they can talk about what's true and beneficial and hard for the world to hear. I can help them with that a little bit. You can help them with that a little bit. So finding the right time, finding the right time, it might be related to when a person would be able to hear. But frankly, I think it's hard for us to gauge that. So maybe not in the middle of a heated argument. Okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) But it's sometimes hard for us to gauge when somebody will actually be able to hear. I think actually at times it's easier to just say, no, it's not going to help actually. I won't say anything because it won't help. But you don't know that. You don't know that. You know, I think about um, in this regard, actually today, so I try to keep up with the current events. Today, uh, some rabbis were testifying in front of Congress uh, about anti, the rise in anti-Semitic activity here in the States, and in particular, the incident that happened in Texas recently. And, um, and I think about the story of the rabbi and his family, see if the name will come to me, who moved out to Nebraska 
thinking that they would get away from some of the anti-Semitism they had experienced in the city. And turned out that they were in the same town as the head of the KKK for that region, the head of the Ku Klux Klan, this very, very racist group in America. And started receiving hate mail and nasty phone calls from him and his followers. And so what they did was that they actually reached out to him. They actually reached out to him and said, hey, we know that you're telling your folks to call us and say nasty things. And you know, here's what the rabbi said. He said, there's a lot of love in the world and you're missing out. true, beneficial, and perhaps not that well-received, right? The guy hung up on him. <laughs> but eventually they were able to have a dialogue, so much so that he resigned from the Ku Klux Klan. Actually, the Grand Dragon, this gentleman who was a Grand Dragon, resigned from the Klan and wrote a letter of apology to all the folks that he had harassed. And eventually he was diabetic and he was struggling and they would, they would buy him groceries. They would go out and take him grocery shopping. They became friends, they would have dinner together. Eventually when his diabetes got really bad, he lived with them for a short while. So was, was there something going on that he was ready? Who knows? You never would have guessed it, right, by the behavior. But the, this, uh, this rabbi was willing to say the thing that was true and beneficial, but not so well received. So I suppose that part of my talk today is also a call to courage. It's a call to our inner courage of having a look at how we understand the world in terms of true or false, in terms of beneficial or harmful, how we understand our own thoughts and speech. but also beginning to know the time, the time when we could actually be helpful, the time when we could speak what's true and beneficial and help others who need to say they're true and beneficial. get that out into a world that might not be so happy to hear it, but needs to anyway. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.